If you would, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 6, right there at the very end. We'll start reading at verse 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the row in front of you. And you should find the passage we're going to read today on page 49. And if you're with us for the first time, or if you're just not all that familiar with this Old Testament book of Exodus, uh, Exodus is the story, it's the true story of the God who goes into slavery and rescues his people. So God sees his people in need, sees them in slavery to a master that they cannot defeat, and he goes in and he gets them out. And that doesn't quite unfold in a fairy tale way. It doesn't unfold maybe the way that you think it ought to. Uh, it actually, we would say, has kind of a rough start. Moses is the man that God uses. But Moses is not this towering figure of strength and resolve who's ambitious and dedicated and wants to see his people come to justice. I mean, that's partially true. But what we find out is that Moses actually doesn't really want this job. And he sort of follows God's directions and sort of doesn't. And that leads to all sorts of problems. But where we left off last in the story was um, Moses had gone to Pharaoh the first time and had told Pharaoh that Pharaoh needed to let the people of Israel go. And Pharaoh said no. And he said no in a big way. He actually... He actually punished the people of Israel even harsher. He made their slavery worse. He made their work harder. And so much to the point that Moses, the people would no longer listen to Moses. They had, their, their spirit was broken, is what the Bible tells us. And they didn't want to listen to Moses. And so Moses feels defeated. And that is where we pick up at the end of chapter 6 in verse 28. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. Basically, my lips are no good. They're not worthy. I'm not cut out for this. I can't do it. I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, look, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt by great acts. Excuse me. I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, 
Then you will say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh and his servants. Take it, uh, sorry, that it became, uh, I lost my place because I looked up. This is why you should memorize what you preach. Where do we go? Let's start in verse 9. When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word read, and God, we now pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and to the hearing, and also to the preaching of your word. Lord, may the the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. If I say something that is not of you, not of your authority, Lord, blow it away. May it be as nothing. May it not even be remembered. But Lord, the truths that you want to communicate through this passage, God, would you cause them to find a deep purchase in our souls and grow up and bear fruit in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Usually when I'm talking, uh, back, back when I would spend a lot of time on the college campus and talk with students, Usually, all, all kinds of issues would come up, um, and it always came back to this question of, who's in charge? Who's the authority? This, is actually, uh, this has actually become a common refrain in our house uh, about who's in charge. Inevitably, right, our, our kids are now getting old enough to where, uh, and I'm going to, they shall remain nameless, um, but, right, this, the, even, even yesterday, right, inevitably happens... A command is given, a direction is given from the proper parental authority. And within five to seven minutes, there's crying, there's fighting, someone's been kicked in the stomach, and it's like, what, guys, what happened, right? All I, all I said was, go get in the van, um, right? And inevitably, uh, like I come outside and I'm like, why are you out here? I said, get in the van. Well, because he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's in charge? That's the, that's the question that I ask, right? Who's in charge? You are, right? And I said, get in the van, so let's get in the van, right? Or, guys, the, the, the playroom needs to be picked up. Pandemonium ensues. Um, or, hey, I told you, this, this is a good one, right? Hey, I, I gave you the two-minute warning. I said we we're about to leave. I told you to turn that off, so turn it off. Well, but so-and-so said, I, who's in charge, right? Um, that's the, that's the question, right? One of the questions that we're going to tackle today as we go through this passage, there's really two questions I want us to, to answer. And the first is, who's in charge? And the second is, who's listening? Because the, the question, what's at stake in the passage that we read today, we're, we're actually beginning to get into the plagues, right? 
what's commonly known as the plagues, where Egypt is where God attacks Egypt. And maybe even saying that phrase makes you uncomfortable, that God would attack, that God would go on the offensive against a rival kingdom. That sounds so Old Testament. But one of the things that you have to come to grips with when it comes to the Bible is the question of ultimate authority. We don't get to have God as we want him to be. And we really don't get to have God as we would imagine him to be. We have God as he presents himself in the scriptures. And the sooner that you and I come to grips with that, the freer we are, the happier we are, the better off we are. But that means there's going to be some pain along the way. C.S. Lewis once said, you, you can't go on seeing through things forever. And that's really the spirit of our age, right? It's been the spirit of our age for quite some time. It's actually the spirit of humanity apart from God. We want to see through everything. Most of you know I'm kind of a cynic, pessimist sort of guy. I like cultural analysis and making fun of other people. It's just a thing I do. So um, I like to see through things. And what the Bible does and what is what C.S. Lewis said is there are some things you can't see through. There are some things where you just come up against a hard rock wall. And that's actually God himself. And that's what we see beginning to happen here. But there's two responses to that in Moses and in Pharaoh. So we're going to look at this. We're going to see that God's word judges hard hearts and sets the captives free. God gives his word. And it has a dual effect. It has a double effect. It's a two-edged sword. One side judges hard hearts. And one side liberates. And we're going to see two different responses. So first we're going to look at who's in charge. And then second we're going to see who's listening. But first, who's in charge? I want to remind you back in, back in Exodus chapter 5, the first time that Moses goes to Pharaoh... He says, Yahweh, which is the God of the Israelites, he says, thus says Yahweh, let my people go. And you remember what Pharaoh said? Who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord that I should obey his word? Basically, I don't care who your God is. He has no authority over me. So no, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let the people go. And so now God is stepping in to answer Pharaoh's rhetorical question. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? God says, I'm about to show you who I am. I'm about to show up. I'm about to step in. I'm about to intervene. And here's the point. Pharaoh can't stop what's about to happen. Moses can't stop what's about to happen. Right. So let's look at this. In, uh, in the beginning of chapter 7, Moses says, How will Pharaoh listen to me? I'm no good at this. this isn't, I'm not worthy. This isn't going to work. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, I have made you God to Pharaoh. I have made you God to Pharaoh. Now, uh, the Egyptians worshipped a little over a hundred different gods. There, there were lots of deities. Um, the Hebrews had one God. But you kind of need to understand that Pharaoh's day, Moses' day, really isn't too much different from our own. We're still the same kinds of people. We worship multiple gods. 
Um, and so for Pharaoh to hear a rival God say, uh, or for Pharaoh to hear a different people group say that this is what their God had said, that wouldn't have been uncommon. What was offensive to Pharaoh is that Moses' God was claiming some authority over him. And Pharaoh actually saw himself as a god. He was worshipped as a god. And so for another god to say, I'm about to own you, would have been very offensive to Pharaoh. And actually, it's very offensive to us, isn't it? We don't like the idea. We, we kind of like the idea that we get to pick and choose uh, what rules we're going to follow and what we're not going to follow. We get to pick and choose our deities. This, this spirit is true even within Christianity. The number of times that I've heard someone say, well, that's not really how I prefer to see God. Or, or I think that God would blank. And the next question I ask is, that's interesting, where do you get that from? Well, I don't know, it just seems to make sense. And what we have in the Word is that, we, like I said earlier, we don't, get to, uh, we don't get to have God as we want Him to be. We have God as He declares Himself. And so, God tells Moses... I want you to think about this. Moses, this 80-year-old shepherd from the desert, he tells him to go present himself in front of the most powerful man on the planet and say, thus says the Lord. God says to Moses, you are God to Pharaoh. You are my representative. Aaron is your mouthpiece, but you are to let Pharaoh know what my will is. And remember, Moses feels defeated. He feels worthless. Doesn't think he's anybody. And God doesn't answer him by saying, no, Moses, you're a great guy. Listen, you're going to be just fine. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. You're going to speak well. You can do this. Go get him. Moses' credentials really don't come into play here. God's authority is what comes into play. And so he says, you will be God to Pharaoh. And Aaron will be your mouthpiece. All you have to do, Moses, is say everything that I command you. You say what I tell you. Don't say anything else. You say what I command you. And here's what's going to happen. This is interesting. Verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And even though I multiply all my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. God had already said this back in chapter 4, verse 21, that this was going to happen. What do you think of when you hear that phrase, a, a hard heart? Right? You think stubbornness. You think inflexibility. You think rigidity. That's exactly right. God is saying that Pharaoh's heart will be inflexible to Moses' request. That, that Pharaoh, in a sense, already has his mind made up. He's not going to let Israel go. He's not open to the suggestion. He's not willing to talk about it. He's not willing to discuss it. His heart will be hardened. Now, in the Egyptian understanding of the heart, the heart was the center of your being. Everything that you thought... Everything that you felt, everything that you did flowed out of your heart. I recently caught a special on PBS because I'm a nerd like that. And um, I won't go into all the gory details, but they made the point that for the Egyptian, right? If you, if you 
Don't know this. The Egyptians were embalming a long time before anybody else. And every organ was removed from the body except for the heart. The heart was left in because that was the center of your being and you would need it in the afterlife. If you didn't have a heart, the afterlife was going to be very difficult for you. So they left the even though they would remove everything else, they would leave the heart in. The heart is a big deal in Egypt. And Pharaoh's heart is an even bigger deal than most because Pharaoh, again, was worshipped as a deity. He was seen as the incarnation of the gods Horus and Ra, who were sovereign and in control. So that meant Pharaoh's heart was a sovereign heart. Pharaoh's heart was sovereign over Egypt. So it would have been a very shocking thing for God to say to Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He just said, Pharaoh is not in control of his own heart. I mean, you can't, you can't get any more blatant than that. I mean, we would think of all the other areas where I am in control of my life or not in control of my life. Surely what I think and feel and do, there I am free. There are no restraints. And yet here is God saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart is not sovereign. Pharaoh's heart is not in control. He does not get to do all that he pleases. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Which maybe leads you to ask the question. It certainly leads me to ask the question. How is that fair? How is that right? Because God is going to punish Pharaoh for his hardness of heart. God is going to hold Pharaoh responsible for the evil that he has done. And this is one of those areas where we have to just stop at the mystery and wonder because the Bible doesn't resolve it. God is sovereign over the heart of Pharaoh and we are responsible for what we do. Pharaoh is responsible for the way that he sins. A couple of other places we see this, Proverbs 16, 1 and 9 says this, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Romans 9, 17 and 18, the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then God has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. This is a hard thing. This is what theologians of old would call an inscrutable mystery. We don't get to peer into God's mind here. And oftentimes people have, people have run uh, in a couple of different directions, they see a truth like this and they say, well, uh, God won't violate a human's free will. So it must be that God just sees what Pharaoh's going to do. That's one way to answer it. But the text doesn't give you that option. Another way to run the other direction is to say is, is to say fatalism. Right. Well, if God is in control of everything, even the human heart, what can we do? Let's just. Throw up our hands in the air. We're just puppets on a string. And the text doesn't give you that option either. 
Friend, you have to come to grips with God as he presents himself. And here he is as he approaches Pharaoh telling Moses, I will harden his heart. And we're going to read again and again and again in the plagues that Pharaoh's heart was hardened just as the Lord said. Pharaoh refused to see right what was in front of him. He refused to listen. He would be held accountable for that. And yet God was the one who was working in it. You must come to grips with that. You must wrestle with that. There is no easy resolution. In John's Gospel, Jesus, in the same book, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. While at the same time, holding the Pharisees responsible for their hard-heartedness and sin. And we want to ask, how is that fair? How is that right? And what we do is we come to the edge of the cliff, and we can go no further, and we say, the judge of all the earth will do right. God will not violate his character. He is good, and he does all that he pleases. So the only one who is free is God himself. Now, you don't feel like a puppet on a string, do you? God is free to act according to his divine will. And it's his will so that he can magnify and display his power that Pharaoh be hardened. And so Pharaoh is hardened. And the point of the whole thing is to answer this question. Who's in charge? Not Pharaoh. Not Moses. God Almighty. That's who's in charge. He is the one working out his sovereign pleasure. He sits in heaven. He does all that he pleases. He says, I'm going to even multiply my signs and wonders. I'm going to do all these amazing things in front of Egypt. Pharaoh's not going to listen. And we learn from that 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 miracles in and of themselves have no converting power. Right? We we tend to think that. Uh, You'll hear people say things like, Oh, if we, if we just had Jesus with us today, if, if I saw him heal the blind man, or if I saw him turn water into wine, then I would believe. But yet we have repeated evidence throughout the scriptures that miracles don't have the, peop- don't have the power to make people believe. Only the word of God does that. Miracles can confirm it, and they can point to it. But remember that plenty of people in Jesus' day saw him do amazing things, many signs, many wonders, and they refused to believe. Their hearts were hardened. And so we have to answer the question, who is in charge and what is he doing? The second question, the second point I want to, I want to, second question I want to answer is who's listening? There's a couple of things I want you to see how often it's repeated. If you look in verse 6, after, after God has given all of these instructions to Moses and Aaron, what does it say? Moses and Aaron did so, they did just as the Lord commanded them. Again, in verse 10, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. The author, Moses, is going out of his way to point out that he did just as he was commanded to do. This is the first time. If you go back to chapter 3 and you look at the instructions that Moses was given, and then you go to chapter 5 and see his first audience before Pharaoh, you'll notice some incongruity there. 
Moses does not say what God told him to say. Moses does not do exactly what he was told to do. And as uh, if you've ever watched Thomas the Train, as Sir Topham Hatt says, it caused confusion and delay, right? Um, Moses, I'm just glad some people got my Thomas the Train reference. It's the best show on PBS. Um, This is the first time that Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And we see the results. Now, um, Moses is listening better. Moses is trusting more. He and Aaron follow the scripts. No edits, no soft peddling, just speaking the words of the Lord. And this is a this is a hard grace, but it's a good one. Because initially God use, uses Moses half-hearted response to frustrate Moses. It brings him to the, to the place of faith-filled obedience. God does that. Um, look, following the words of the Lord to a T, that's a, that's a hard thing. That's a difficult thing. And we don't like it. And we don't want to do it. And Moses didn't want to do it. And it caused him a lot of grief and pain. But it also brought him to the place, right? What God often has to do with us is he, he brings us to the end of our rope before we'll grab a hold of his. He shows us constant frustration as long as we're aiming to do this by ourselves. And he brings us to the end of ourselves so that we can grab a hold in faith-filled obedience. We see, we see that Moses is actually transformed from this encounter, from this point forward Right up until the end of his life, or almost to the end of his life, Moses will do as he's commanded to. But it took him a while to get here. Right? And so, Moses responds. He does just as he's commanded to do. And God, this, what this tells us is that we really don't like to learn things, the, we don't learn things best the easy way, do we? Uh, We usually learn best the hard way. And what we find in the scriptures is that God grows us the most and we are the most faithful when we have to be dependent on him. When we are brought to the end of ourselves and we say, "Okay, I don't have anything else to do. I'm just going to have to trust you. And it's almost as if God says, we should have done that a couple chapters ago. Right. Um, We are the most dependent on him when we have exhausted all our other options. And God usually has to bring us to the end of ourselves before we'll do that. Contrast Moses with Pharaoh. Moses responds, he listens, he hears the word, and he responds. He does all that God tells him to do. Contrast that with Pharaoh. Pharaoh asks for a miracle, right? Uh, God says, listen, Pharaoh's going to ask you for a miracle. He wants you to prove yourselves. But we need to understand what Pharaoh's asking for. In his time, in his context, if you were a king, especially a deity king like Pharaoh, you had your own team of magicians. You had your team of priests and scribes, and they were usually pretty good with magic, especially in Egypt. There's lots of writing on this. Uh, Egyptian magicians were really good at sleight of hand, um, whether or not they did this out of um, demonic power or not is kind of up for debate. But at any rate, 
in Pharaoh's day and in Pharaoh's mind, whoever had the best magic wins. And so what Pharaoh sets up is a contest. So Pharaoh is not interesting and is not interested in listening to Moses. His heart is not open to Moses. He wants to show that Moses is a fraud. He wants to reveal that Aaron is just a, a slave Hebrew, right? And so if you, whoever has the best magic wins. So Pharaoh says, all right, Moses, all right, Aaron, show me what you've got. Show me your magic. Now, we already know that this is a little bit more than magic. This is a little bit more than sleight of hand, but this is the first time and this is actually an indicator of what's going to happen in the plagues to come. Uh, but this is the first time that Moses and Aaron have done a sign for Pharaoh. They did some for the people. The people believed. We're all excited about it. This is the first time Pharaoh gets to see God's power on display. And so Aaron, uh, at Moses' command, takes his staff. He throws it on the ground, and it becomes a, a serpent, a snake. And we've said before, right, remember that the serpent was a symbol of power for the Egyptians. It was actually, there was a, a female cobra uh, in attack position on Pharaoh's headdress. And so the serpent was a very potent symbol of Egyptian strength. And so Aaron is basically throwing down the gauntlet and slapping Pharaoh in the face by, he, he throws his dead stick of wood and it becomes a serpent. He's basically saying, I can control, I can control snakes. What you got? Right. Uh, so this is this is a bold faced challenge to Pharaoh's power. And what Pharaoh does is he calls his magicians out and they do something by their secret arts, how they're able to do it. The text doesn't really explain, but they, too, conjure up serpents from stabs. Right. They put their stabs down and they become snakes as if to say your magic's no good. I can do that, too. But then something interesting happens. Aaron's staff eats all of theirs. Like one by one. Like his snake goes along and gobbles up each one of them. Now, if ever there was a mic drop moment, right? Like surely, surely it would be when your staff ate all the bad guys' staffs, right? Like that would be the time when you would say, okay, um... Never mind, you win, right? But what does Pharaoh do? It says he hardens his heart. Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he will not listen to Moses. And this is a hard truth, that even in the face of insurmountable evidence, even in the face of great acts of power, the human heart, in its rebellion, will not cave to the word of the Lord. And that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for our friends. It's a hard thing for our neighbors. But I think it's a reality that we have to come to grips with. Even there's a, there's a story that Jesus tells. It's a parable. Lazarus and the rich man. And if you remember uh, the rich man, Lazarus was a beggar. Uh, the rich man who, who sat underneath the rich man's table, uh, the rich man would throw him food from time to time. But when they both die, Lazarus is in heaven, right? He's in paradise and the rich man, rich man is in torture. He's in torment in hell. And it says there's a big gulf fixed between them. Now, it's a parable, so we're not getting like a map of heaven and hell. OK, but it's interesting. Uh, 
the rich man cries out and says, uh, he, he asks either Abraham or Lazarus, he says, would you send someone to go warn my relatives? This torture is unbearable. Send a spirit, send somebody to go warn them. And the response is, they have Moses and the prophets. Even if someone were to rise up from the dead, they would not believe. That what has the power to save sinners is the word. Not the sign, but the word. And if you harden your heart to the word, because we can and because we do, if you harden your heart to the word, you cannot and will not be saved. And what we're going to see as we proceed through the book of Exodus is not only that Pharaoh has hardened his heart and will be lost, but even that God's people are in danger of hardening their own hearts. In fact, many do. Which is why I had Matthew read that warning passage from Hebrews. And it's a stark warning. We cannot take the presence and power of God for granted. And we dare not play lightly with a God who broke Egypt and broke our enemy. We dare not take him for granted. We dare not take his salvation for granted. We need to see this as a warning to not harden our own hearts, to not be stubborn and inflexible to what God is doing, but to cry out, as we do from Hebrews, to cry out to the risen Lord Jesus, who offers mercy and grace. And therein lies the good news. The bad news is, when we harden our hearts to the Word, we put ourselves in a position... Where no one can reach us, no, no sign, no miracle, no nothing can reach us. Except for the intervening grace of God. And so I would close this morning's sermon by pleading with you. Much maybe as Moses pleaded with Pharaoh. Because here's the other, here's the other side to that sovereignty equation. I don't know who in here has a hard heart. I don't know who in here has a soft heart and has an open ear. God doesn't give us that information. He doesn't tell us who will be saved and who won't. But what he does say is preach the gospel. And so, friend, I want you to hear the good news. Not just that.